0: Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty
1: podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back once again for another episode of Felony Friday right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. As our returning listeners already know, this is a weekly podcast which focuses on exposing justice in the broken criminal justice system. And I think we have a show today that is going to do just that. It's going to really focus in and shine some light on some terrible injustice in the criminal justice system. And I'll get to who my guest is in just a minute here. But before I do that, I just want to ask my listeners, I want to let my listeners know how you guys can support our show here at Lions of Liberty. You can do that. One way you can do that is by shopping through Amazon, through our affiliate link. Doing so will cost absolutely nothing to you. You would just buy whatever you normally buy and you just shop through our link. You can find this link at lionsofliberty.com slash Amazon. So please try that out today. And the second thing I want to talk to you guys about is the show notes page. Um, We're going to talk about a couple different stories today, a couple different news stories And I want you to be able to find them. So please check out the show notes page at lionsofliberty.com slash FF32. This is episode 32. So that is where the 32 comes from. My guest today is Anthony Pappas. Happy to have Anthony on the show the way that I was introduced to Anthony is an interesting story. I was introduced by Alex Merced. And of course, our frequent listeners would know that Alex was a previous guest here on the Alliance of Liberty podcast, episode 218 with Mark Claire. Alex is the current libertarian candidate for U.S. Senate in New York. I believe him and Anthony met through political events in New York as Anthony was seeking the Green Party nomination for the U.S. Senate seat. I believe we can talk about that with Anthony later. Anthony has been forced to deal with some tough times resulting from family court rulings. As a result, he's become a passionate advocate for family court reform and reforming judicial immunity. Anthony will be sharing his story today, and we'll also hopefully have some time to talk about some other cases in the family court area as well. Just some quick background on Anthony. He was born in New York City, Uh, Back in 1946, January 1946, he graduated from Stuyvesant High School, I think I'm saying that right, in New York City in 1962, earned a bachelor's degree from MIT in 1965, majoring in economics, minoring in mathematics, and he also has a master's degree and a Ph.D., from Yale University in economics as well. He has been a college professor in the Department of Economics and Finance at St. John's University since 1976 and continuing today. Anthony has also owned and operated a securities brokerage firm. Anthony, welcome to Felony Friday. So glad you could be here.
0: Good evening. Thank you for having me, John.
1: It's good to have you here, Anthony. And in the lead up to this interview, we did uh, you know, we conversed a little bit on, on Facebook and, and and through email. And you communicated with me regarding some issues uh, with family court, uh, some issues that have have you uh, personally. And I wanted to, if if it's okay with you, I kind of wanted to read the part of the note that you sent me just to kind of to set up what we're going to talk about. And this is a quote from you. You said, in the U.S., there is no effective accountability over the judiciary branch of the government. In family courts, as civil courts, a single judge can make capricious and arbitrary decisions regarding a person's children, property, and well-being, including incarceration. In written decisions, I, this is being you, labeled a terrorist, like the perpetrator of the Fort Hood massacre, and a violent Class B felon. So, uh, first thing I wanted to ask you about, Anthony, in regards to that quote, can you tell the uh, Felony Friday audience a little bit about your past and how you became to be, uh, how you got in this situation where you ended up in family courts and were labeled a terrorist and ended up uh, being classified as a Class B felon.
0: I uh, was uh, married uh, to my ex wife for uh, over 20 years. And uh, then at, uh, in 2004, she had decided to uh, file for divorce. Uh, so we wound up uh, going to a civil court uh, for that. We weren't actually in a family court because uh, my children were over 18 and uh, there weren't any issues regarding, uh, you know, child custody and visitation. So it was the uh, regular, uh, you know, civil court in uh, New York State that would be the Supreme Court, which is the, uh, you know, trial court of uh, jurisdiction for uh, civil cases. So the uh, divorce case, uh, you know, proceeded, providing, uh, you know, information and testimony on uh, uh, various assets and uh, property that I held or that I had accumulated over my life. And uh, I saw that, uh, you know, the judge uh, was uh, not uh, favorably inclined to, uh, you know, the evidence I was uh, presenting. And uh, I uh, wrote a letter, uh, you know, protesting, you know, some of the interim decisions that he was uh, making. Eventually, as a result of that uh, letter, he got annoyed and uh, he uh, issued a decision where he uh, wrote down that I had uh, made, quote, uh, thinly veiled threats in the idiom used by the perpetrator of the Fort Hood massacre, unquote. And these uh, threats were ostensibly reported to the uh, Judicial Threats Unit in the Office of uh, Court Administration.
1: If I can just jump in very quickly or to ask a a question. So can you say kind of what was said in the letter that you sent him?
0: Well, around uh, 2009, the uh, Fort Hood massacre occurred. And uh, to refresh everyone's memory, uh, Nidal Hassan was an army psychiatrist and uh, he shot, uh, you know, 13 soldiers and wounded uh, 32. So uh, in my uh, letter to uh, Judge uh, Gartenstein, I drew a parallel between uh, Nidal Hassan as an army psychiatrist who was supposed to help uh, people and uh, my ex-wife who was a school a guidance counselor and uh, likewise uh, uh, was supposed to be helping people or guiding uh, elementary school students. And uh, I was just contending that, uh, you know, she was a difficult uh, person who had uh, created the turmoil in the schools where she worked, that uh, some of her testimony was not accurate, And uh, that uh, this was another example of a person who supposedly was doing good, but uh, who was, uh, in fact, uh, you know, just causing trouble for the sake of causing trouble. So the uh, judge was annoyed at that. And, uh, you know, he turned uh, this uh, innocuous uh, letter into a uh, threat uh, in the idiom used by the perpetrator of the uh, Fort Hood massacre. Now, what's disturbing about that is that uh, we may all be aware that if uh, somebody makes threats, they are supposed to be arrested by uh, the FBI or Homeland Security. So, for example, uh, if you're a high school student, uh, you can't just, uh, you know, put on Twitter or on Facebook Oh, I'm uh, so angry at my algebra teacher, I'm going to, uh, you know, punch him in the face. Or I'm uh, so angry at my uh, history teacher, I feel like blowing up the cafeteria. Uh, you know, if you make threats of that kind, you're supposed to be arrested. And, uh, you know, we see countless examples of that uh, where, uh, you know, people make impetuous threats, you know, whether as teenagers or as Adults when they're disturbed, and uh, you know they wind up uh, being arrested. Now, uh, fortunately, in my situation, I was not arrested. But uh, these uh, the dislike of the uh, judge, you know, for uh, you know for my objections and my contention that he was treating me unfairly, uh, was enough for him to impose. Uh, you know, punitive, uh, you know, financial impositions on me, which were, you know, totally unfair. And, uh, you know, at some point, uh, somebody could regard as uh, 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 life-threatening. Now, uh, the other aspect of, uh, you know, his uh, biased decision was the contention that I was a violent Class B felon, Uh, Class B felonies uh, would be in the category of manslaughter, uh, where there's actually a dead body, or it would be arson or rape or sodomy. Uh, Mine would be assault uh, one. So what he wrote down in his decision was that I punched my wife, fractured her face. She had reconstructive surgery with anesthesia. She went to the hospital, and uh, it cost $9,000, and she charged it on a credit card. Okay, well, if you commit something like that, which is a serious, uh, you know, criminal act, you know, Class B felony, you know, equivalent to manslaughter, uh, you should be convicted and go up to Attica State Prison for 25 years. Now, uh, uh, when I read this uh, decision... You know, I pondered what to do. You know, you're uh, taken aback and shocked. Can,
1: can I jump in again here because I know our listeners are going to have a question here too? So, where did that story come from? Then was there any truth to? Did your ex-wife actually go get surgery, or what happened there? What was? Is there more that can be added?
0: Uh, no, it was uh, basically a perjury and uh, uh, you know exaggeration by the uh, judge. You know, because he was, uh, you know, looking to, uh, you know, crucify me or to, uh, you know, find reasons to rule against me. And
1: that was a fabrication then? Uh,
0: and, uh, uh, you know, any sensible jurist would understand that if uh, somebody goes to the hospital with a major injury, you know, like a bullet wound or a fractured face, uh, first of all, Uh, The personnel at the hospital, in the emergency room, or the doctors, they're mandated reporters, so they are supposed to report the injury to the police to conduct an investigation, Uh, or typically in many emergency rooms, You actually have uh, a policeman stationed in the emergency room because, you know, people brought in by ambulance, they walk in with major injuries. So, uh, again, uh, the charge that a major Class B felony had been committed was, uh, you know, could be regarded as uh, totally irrational and biased. And uh, it uh, was uh, designed to be propaganda so that, uh, you know, the judge could uh, impose, uh, you know, severe uh, financial impositions on me. And, of course, it, uh, you know, creates uh, emotional distress because, uh, you know, you don't know what can happen in this uh, system where there's no accountability. You know, the uh, in theory, you know, the... Uh, the judge could uh, order someone to arrest you and uh, you would be imprisoned, uh, awaiting trial. You, you don't know how to deal with this, especially if uh, you have no experience and, uh, you know, you don't have a uh, training in the law. So uh, it's, uh, you know, very uh, distressing.
1: What impacts has this ruling had on your life?
0: Well, the ruling imposed, uh, you know, financial impositions on me and uh, this ruling was made in 2010. Uh, Now, the first judge who, uh, uh, you know, made uh, these charges, I managed to get him to uh, self-recuse himself from the case. So the case was about 95% completed. I complained about him to another judge, uh, the Honorable Robert uh, Ross, who was a compassionate and, uh, you know, sensible person. And uh, after, uh, you know, some, uh, uh, you know, back and forth, uh, you know, theatrics in the the courtroom, Judge Gartenstein uh, recused himself. And I thought, uh, you know, things would get uh, better. But uh, in a bizarre system, the next judge that I encountered was uh, also uh, irrational and uh, biased. So instead of trying to comprehend why uh, uh, Gartenstein had uh, removed himself from the case on his own volition, he accused me of uh, playing a game and somehow bringing about uh, Gartenstein's recusal, And uh, he wrote, it is alleged that uh, defendant Anthony Pappas committed certain aberrant acts which brought about Gartenstein's recusal, which again is irrational. It implies that a defendant has the capacity to somehow do some irrational acts like, uh, I don't know, thumb your nose at the judge or do somersaults when you're giving testimony or a twirl around and uh, you know do something bizarre, and then the judge accommodates himself and uh, removes himself uh, from your case. But uh, you know again, in a system with no accountability, you can have uh, totally irrational and uh, bizarre uh, written decisions by judges which uh, don't make uh, sense. All right, so now the second judge uh, was uh, bad also. He uh, retired, so the uh, case proceeded to the third judge, Hope Schwartz Zimmerman, uh, who is uh, still presiding over it, and uh, she uh, was biased and prejudiced against me as uh, well. So uh, in her uh, decisions of uh, divorce... She repeated the accusations that uh, I was a uh, terrorist and a violent Class B felon. And uh, she just uh, imposed, uh, you know, ridiculous uh, impositions on me to uh, try to take away all my money or even take away money that uh, didn't exist. So uh, she uh, did a calculation and... uh, Basically the calculation was that uh, I had uh, spent over uh, half a million dollars to send my three children to expensive uh, private universities. This money went to the uh, children's education at the universities and to their support. And she basically decided that now I owed this money to my wife and uh, she made up some lame excuse that uh, my wife was not familiar with the uh, family finances.
1: So because you paid to send your children to good colleges to get them an education that you thought that they needed, something that they probably agreed with you and consented to, and at the time, we're around the age of, I'm assuming, 18, they're saying that she's throwing that, the judge is throwing that out the window and saying that this was all done, that you coerced your children into going to go into college and taking this money, basically.
0: Well, she's not saying they were coerced. Uh, she's making uh, the bizarre argument that uh, somehow this money was uh, marital money and that uh, every time you write out a check for uh, uh, tuition or for the dormitory, Oh, you should have gotten like a written agreement from your wife to, uh, you know, write out a check because she didn't know that the children were going to college or how expensive it was. So all this money somehow, you know, you, uh, depleted and, uh, disadvantaged your wife, you know, totally a specious argument, which, uh, has no validity, but, uh, as I say, the judges can ignore the law and the facts, make up any uh, excuses they want, or, uh, you know, rationales, and, uh, uh, you know, decide to take away your, uh, you know, money and your property. Now, fortunately, in my case, as I said, the uh, children were over 18, and uh, there weren't any issues about the uh, visitation or custody of the children, but what happens to thousands of other people across the United States is that you have these uh, bonkers uh, jurists uh, who could be prejudiced or malicious against a father or a mother, and for uh, totally irrational reasons, they will, uh, you know, take the children away from, uh, you know, one of the parents and uh, give sole custody to the other. And uh, this could mean in some cases, you know, parents haven't uh, seen their little children that they love for two years or five years or, uh, you know, every bizarre situation you can imagine takes uh, place. Or you could have a situation where if you're the uh, non-custodial parent, if your uh, child is injured, let's say in an automobile accident, and goes to the hospital, the custodial parent can direct the the doctors and the nurses and uh, tell them, don't let the other parent uh, see the child in the the, uh, hospital. And uh, you as doctors don't discuss with him what his treatment should be or what his condition is because I, as the custodial parent, have all the legal rights to the uh, child. So uh, any parent uh, encountering this situation who loves their children and you know wants to find out how they are is going to be emotionally distressed and uh, what often happens in thousands of cases is uh, the parents uh, then commit the suicide or they commit the murder suicide and uh, you have these uh, thousands of tragedies taking place uh, you know throughout the uh, court system because it's uh, set up in some cases to uh, exacerbate conflicts uh, produce uh, irrational decisions and, uh, you know, force people to uh, take their own lives. It
1: really is a, a crazy system. And, and you did send me several stories that I don't think we're going to have time to touch on today. I do want to talk about Stump versus Sparkman, the precedents for this judicial immunity. But, but first, before we move on to that, I just want to make one thing clear for our listeners. You keep saying that you've been you were labeled by the judge as a Class B felon. You're not actually a Class B felon, right? Or are you? just want to make sure to get clarity there.
0: No, I'm not. When I first got the uh, decision from Gardenstein back in September 2010, uh, as I say, uh, as a private citizen or someone who's not uh, up on uh, legal proceedings, you say, well, what am I going to do? So I went to the uh, district attorney of uh, Nassau County, And uh, I showed them the decision and basically said, well, here I am. The judge wrote, uh, I fractured my wife's face. If you want to arrest me, here I am. So basically, you know, they checked on their computer and uh, told me, uh, well, Mr. Pappas, if you had done that, we would have arrested you and uh, we would have known about it, Uh, you know, sort of validating the idea that if, uh, you know, someone goes to the hospital for reconstructive surgery, the hospital is supposed to report that uh, this injury has taken place. Okay, now, what demonstrates the total arrogance and gall of the judges is that they can come up with something which you can demonstrably show is irrational and doesn't make any sense at all, And you still can't get the effective redress of uh, grievances. You know, if they wanted to accuse me of, uh, you know, being a bad husband, they could write, well, he slapped her every morning and every night and, uh, you know, she suffered. And then it would be he said, she said, and, uh, you know, you couldn't uh, necessarily disprove that. But, uh, you know, don't write uh, something totally bizarre that uh, this person committed something like manslaughter, but there's no dead body or, uh, you know, he uh, fractured the wife's face, but uh, somehow the police don't know about it or the hospital hasn't reported it or that this took place during the divorce trial and it wasn't mentioned except uh, Uh, You know, when my wife was giving testimony, you know, two weeks ago. So you have this uh, totally irrational situation and uh, uh, you can't uh, get anywhere in the the system because there's a doctrine of uh, absolute judicial immunity, stymies all your efforts, and it resulted from an atrocious decision in the 20th century Uh, which I would call the worst uh, Supreme Court decision of the 20th century. Now, what happened in that case is uh, a mother felt that, uh, you know, her 15-year-old daughter was uh, not doing her homework and she was going out with older men. She characterized the daughter as slightly retarded. This
1: was Stump versus Sparkman, 1978,
0: right? Yeah, that was the Stump versus Sparkman. It uh, started in 1971, uh, reached the uh, Supreme Court of the United States after several years. So in uh, 1971, when the girl was 15, uh, the mother goes to the uh, judge, I think you should uh, sterilize my daughter. All right, so uh, Judge uh, Stump, uh, he did not hold a hearing. Uh, He did not appoint an attorney to represent the, the girl as a minor you know she was under 18 uh, and he told her go to the hospital to get your appendix removed so the uh, girl followed his instructions uh, the judge uh, secretly told the surgeon at the hospital do a tubal ligation uh, cutting the girl's uh, fallopian uh, tubes and the uh, she was released from the hospital, and she didn't know what had happened. She did not have a chance to appeal. Linda K. Sparkman, married a few years later, discovered that uh, instead of uh, having her appendix taken out, uh, she could not conceive, and she decided to uh, sue the judge and everybody involved for violating uh, due process and human rights. And uh, the uh, case uh, went uh, through the uh, federal courts, the Seventh uh, Circuit uh, Court of Appeals that covers uh, Indiana and other states in the Midwest felt that the uh, judge Stump uh, should be liable. Uh, surprisingly, it went to the uh, Supreme Court of the United States, since only uh, you know one percent of cases reach the Supreme Court that uh, request that they go there. But it went to the uh, Supreme Court of the United States. And in a five to three decision, they conferred the uh, absolute uh, judicial immunity upon uh, Judge Stump and uh, said he could not be uh, sued. So uh, as I say, this uh, decision is still binding uh, precedent.
1: So, sorry for jumping in here, but this is just Uh, I hadn't heard of this case, Stump versus Sparkman. I hadn't heard of this precedent until I met you, Anthony. And I just have to say reading through this, preparing for this interview, it's just it blows me away that in America this is happening. In a supposed free country, a judge can orchestrate a 15-year-old girl to be sterilized, can work behind the scenes with doctors, and the Supreme Court can say it's okay It's because he's a judge um, and you, you can't change the ruling, judicial immunity, because if you tried to change it, you could be affecting the outcome and setting a bad precedent. It's it's just unbelievable. Yeah,
0: it's unbelievable. Like, oh, the legal system in the United States would have collapsed if Linda K. Sparkman could hold the judge responsible in some way for uh, her sterilization. So it's uh, totally irrational. It's unethical, immoral. It's against any principles of the founding fathers, that there should be checks and balances over the different branches of the uh, government. And uh, the uh, you know extensions of the decision are that basically uh, the judge can be uh, malicious, uh, he can be uh, do something that's against the law, he can do it knowing it's against the law, Whatever action he takes as a judge, uh, he has uh, absolute uh, judicial immunity, which is a status that no other group of uh, persons has. You know, police can't just take out their gun and uh, shoot you by saying, oh, I'm frightened because you're standing next to me, so I decided to shoot you. And, uh, you know, prosecutors likewise should not, uh, you know, engage in schemes to uh uh, put people in jail or to uh, cover up evidence that would uh, exonerate somebody. You know, they are supposed to function in a uh, responsible manner and be accountable also.
1: It really does put judges above the law. And there are, uh, you've sent me several cases to highlight this, three or four other stories to talk about this. And I do want to have you back on the show for a part two to really dive into this more, Anthony. We did have some technical difficulties leading up to the show today that's limited our time. I do want to thank you for joining Felony Friday today, Anthony, and and sharing your story. Um, I'm sure this has really blown a lot of people away and really slapped them in the face, hopefully woken people up to just this crazy injustice of judicial immunity. So I'm sorry I kind of interrupted you a little bit there, Anthony, but we do have to have a, uh, a hard stop right now. Thank you for coming on the show.
0: Uh, you're welcome. I appreciate it. Thank you very much.
1: That was a really interesting and eye-opening conversation today that we had with Anthony Pappas. I want to thank Anthony again for taking the time to come on Felony Friday and to share his story with the Felony Friday audience. You know, I, I'm sure it's not easy for him to uh to talk about this nightmare that he has experienced. And he even said that. You know, it could have been a lot worse if his kids were under the age of 18 at the time uh, that this occurred with this uh, this judge basically intervening themselves in his life. It, it could have been a lot worse for him, and he could have lost the right to see his children if they were under the age of 18. But luckily, that's not what happened. I definitely do want to have Anthony back on the show. There's a couple other cases That We want to talk about uh, some that our listeners probably might be familiar with some that really haven't received any coverage in any way whatsoever. But they all highlight this injustice of judicial immunity and this lack of accountability in the judicial system. You know, it is terrifying to hear the impact that a judge can have on an individual's life, you know, with no checks or balances and absolutely no limit on their influence. A judge Can essentially just make up a story, label you a felon, then they can use that against you, that made up story, that made up label of a crime that didn't even happen. They can use that to drastically impact a person's life, to take things away from them to take away the ability to see their children, to take away their property, to take away their financial well-being. So it's definitely a very scary thing and something that I think needs a light shined on it. So that's why I wanted to talk about it on today's show, and that's why I will have Anthony back on the show to talk about some other cases. Anthony is an advocate for this, and he's out there uh, working hard trying to grow awareness about it. So, be sure, guys, just want to say a couple more things. Be sure to follow the Lions of Liberty on Facebook and on Twitter. And be sure to join our private Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum. You can do that just by going on Facebook, punching Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar. It'll pop up and we'll get you approved as quickly as we can. Also, if the best way you can help the show, I think at least, is by going on iTunes or Stitcher Radio and subscribing to the show. We have three shows per week. And we would love you to listen to every single show you can just have it delivered right to your iPhone or Android device right there, automatically downloaded for you to listen to every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Friday, of course, is Felony Friday, what you're listening to right now. We have a bunch of other great shows. We're having a, a lot more roundtables, I think. I think each month we're going to have at least one, maybe two roundtable discussions where we are talk about political events of the day. Mark Claire obviously has his interview show where he's interviewing Great minds throughout the libertarian and political movement. And of course, we have our sort of new show. We've had it for about a month now, Mr. Johnson's Liberty Hood. And that is hosted by Brian McWilliams. And uh, Brian is doing a fantastic job with that, doing a uh, very funny uh, look into the presidential campaign of Gary Johnson and Bill Weld. You can't just say one of them because they're running a dual campaign. Uh, That's it for today, guys. As always, thank you for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of Liberty burning.